everyone, and welcome along to this week's episode of the Changemakers NI podcast. Now, I'm just going to warn you from the start, today's episode, we're going to speak about grief. We're going to speak about our personal relationship with it. Uh, we're going to speak about our experiences and how maybe we have tried to understand those experiences, understand those emotions and behaviors when we have experienced grief. So in case you may feel that there's a trigger in there somewhere along the line, just to let you know that's the information that we're going to be talking about today. It is purely from personal experience. So once we get that out of the way, we can now really get into it. Um, The whole idea from the episode, I suppose, came from when we were speaking with Darren about um, my own podcast and an episode I'm currently producing around stoicism and the idea of where my understanding for stoicism came from where my journey has come from and where I'm at on it now and it really did spiral from my experience of grief back in August 2020. Now the person who passed away was a son of a close family friend he wasn't actually a relative so I didn't really expect it to hit me uh, in the way that it did so I'll just paint the picture for you Uh, it was I think it was the 25th of August. It was mum and dad's 35th wedding anniversary. So I was going about quite busy organizing friends and times and everything else you do for for a party and an anniversary celebration at the time. And I was in work and my phone kept ringing, but the the, the person who was ringing me hasn't really rung me in a long, long time, but this was a numerous missed call. So I thought something's not quite right here. So I excused myself and went outside, picked up the phone and I spoke to the person on the other end and All I can say was about two seconds into the call, I kind of zoned out and all I could hear was constantly was he's dead, he's dead. And I don't know if that's what he was actually saying or if it was my mind playing tricks on me, but I didn't expect to hear the person's name linked to that phrase. And I got off the phone and I spoke to my father who was or he is a close friend of the person who lost their son that day. And he, he was shocked to silence just like I was. So over the weekend, the party did happen in sorts, but it wasn't really a happy party. And the funeral came and I went to the funeral and came back into work. And my first encounter with a customer was probably about five minutes after I came back. And all I remember standing, all I remember doing, sorry, was standing in front of the customer, just looking at him with, not hearing anything. His lips were moving. I could see him sort of move his arms and whatever else he's talking about. I couldn't really hear what he was saying. I wasn't really concentrating on it. Um, and then it just, I just exploded. Um, I threw a chair. I kicked a cabinet, kicked the wall, punched pretty much and kicked pretty much everything that was in my way. Um, I went upstairs to the staff room, went to have a cup of water, sorry, a glass of water, but I was literally shaking that much that I couldn't, I couldn't take a drink out of it. And when I, I didn't really realize at the time, cause I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand where those emotions came from because there was no warning. Like it was just, just one second. I'm, I'm grand. I'm speaking to colleagues. And then literally the next second, I'm, I'm freaking out and, and kicking stuff and punching stuff with, with no control really. Um, so my journey into understanding stoicism and the reason why we're speaking about grief today was based around trying to understand why I acted the way I did that day to try and either get some tools that would help me fight off those potential behaviors or emotions again so that I can try and control it 
And when I told Darren the story, um, we both came to the agreement that it's a subject that not a lot of people will maybe are easy speaking about for a number of different reasons. But it's, it's a subject that I think needs to be spoken about because not too many men in particular show their emotions or at least speak about their emotions. And if us talking about this today allows somebody else to understand what they were feeling at a time of need or a time of crisis or a time where they have sorry, displayed behaviours that they don't quite understand, then it's all for the better. And Darren, I know you, we, before we came on, you spoke quite a bit about um, how grief affected you in the death of, of your grandparents. Yeah, so um, I'll give you a bit of context. Uh, the sort of first person that was really, really close to me that I lost was uh, my grandfather on my dad's side. Um, I basically grew up, my second home was in Belfast. Um, as a kid growing up, you know, I got up to all sorts of mischief. Um, my granddad actually taught me how to swim, um, spent a lot of time with me, not only me, but my cousins. Um, he was really invested in us. Um, and I think even speaking to the likes of, you know, my dad and my aunts and things like that, they says they didn't have that same sort of experience when they were growing up. So for us, it was really special. Um, Halloween's we would have spent in our grandparents' house, had a really, really close relationship with not only my granda, but also my granny. Um, and basically the first real encounter with grief and loss for me was when I was, I think I was 18 or turning 19, 18 or 19 anyway. I was at Queen's University. Um, I had sort of started to recreate myself in my university journey. Um, and I spent less and less time with my grandparents because at that age, all you want to do is go out, party, all the rest of it. But uh, over the course of about an eight-year period, my granda had been um, battling cancer. Um, and it was only towards that tail end that he really, really started to deteriorate. Um, for anyone who has a family member who has struggled with cancer or um, has been in that situation themselves, they'll, they'll know how serious it is and can be. Um, but he started to obviously go downhill rapidly, lose a lot of weight. And uh, I suppose for me at that time, I was in a, in a relationship and things weren't going too good around that same time. And I sort of invested more of my time in trying to fix it and lost out on valuable time with him, um, which I now look back on and, and really regret. Um, so basically, I wasn't able to, you know, spend the time that I really would have wanted to with him at the most important time of probably his and mine light my life in a sense um or our relationship so I, I basically felt as though I missed out on quite a lot from that um and really didn't think that I gave him the send-off that I felt he deserved from me as such um and then not too long after that uh I also lost an uncle um he lived out in Australia so I have cousins and, and family out there as well and it all came as a bit of a shock because I was at a point in my life where, yeah, I probably was a wee bit selfish in the sense of I was always putting myself first uh, and I was prioritizing things that were irrelevant. Um, and I, I didn't really see the value in how important family were. Um, and it took me quite some time to realize that um, and take it all in. And I probably didn't grieve the way I should have. Um, in fact, especially with my granddad, it took me 
took me years because of how close we were, um, which impacted some of the stuff that I think we spoke about, Gary, on on one of our separate podcasts, on your podcast, actually, and on the one I had you on um, about some of my own personal struggles. And I think it was maybe a, a, a combination of things, um, obviously a relationship that had went downhill, went sour, and then obviously this grief, which I couldn't describe or explain and, and sort of traveled with me through that journey for three four years and yeah I sort of masked it I think um and I didn't really let it come to the surface um so yeah that was my first encounter with grief um and then as I as I mentioned to you probably the next significant loss for me would have been my mum's father um now as I discussed with you earlier on we didn't really have as close a relationship as I would have had with um, my granda Wallace. Um, in fact, we didn't really have a relationship at all. So that funeral for me was a lot different because it, it was it was it was almost like I I didn't really feel an emotional connection as such. Don't get me wrong, I, I felt sad. He's a family member, and uh, I do you know I, I I you know obviously anyone you lose you're going to be devastated about in a sense, but I didn't have that same emotional feeling. Um, and then I think it would have been not too long again. Obviously my, my granny Wallace passed away. Um, and again, I was thinking to myself, is there, is there something wrong with me? Like, why am I not feeling emotional? Why am I not, um, why am I not showing any emotion? And I think it was because I had caged it. I had learned to cage it from those two experiences. And um, it came to like a couple of days before I had been sort of supporting family and making sure everything was sorted and doing anything I could. So my mind was off it as, you know, on the run up to the actual funeral. Um, we were running about getting stuff sorted, getting flowers sorted, um, making sure that everyone knew where to were to come um, get uh, basically, you know, food sorted for afterwards. And it wasn't until the day of the funeral, um, I had been asked to do a, a speech for my granny Wallace. And um, that was fine. I says, yeah, yeah, no problem. I can do it. Everyone else was basically overcome with emotion themselves. They were like, look, we couldn't get up there and, and speak, um, which is understandable. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I haven't really felt emotional, so it'll be fine. I'll, I'll get up there. I'll, I'll do the speech. We we had actually a camera set up to record it for uh, my cousins out in Australia because obviously they couldn't have made the, the trip across. Um, and it wasn't until I actually got up in front of everyone and started to read out what I had wrote down. I had spent a couple of hours the night before writing it and making sure that I had included everyone and making sure that I had included a bit from my cousins in Australia. So it was quite important to me. It really was. And I'd got up and I think I'd maybe got through the first two, two lines, two and a half lines. And uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere with no warning, I just broke down. I uncontrollably broke down in front of everybody. Um, and I couldn't have, couldn't have factored that into my day I couldn't have factored that into my speech I didn't the all the emotions had just built up and built up and built up and there was only one way for it all to go and it was to, to basically for me to show it um and that was yeah that was it was really powerful it was really powerful because I couldn't explain it 
Um, yeah, that's that's the thing, I suppose, isn't it? That you know, you're, no one teaches you how to grieve, right? There's no set rule book on that you have to display such and such a symptom or a, not symptom, sorry, but a kind of motion or a behavior yeah. to suggest that you are grieving properly. Because I had this conversation in work as well with, with a few of the girls I work with and we were speaking about one of my grandmas who'd passed and I exactly like you talking about why am I not, why do I not feel emotional? You know, but as I told you, when I went to see my granddad in the hospital, he'd only been dead for maybe half an hour or so, and he was still warm. And whenever I, as soon as I went in, it was my dad's dad. So I went over and comforted my dad. And um, my next thought was, right, okay, let's, we need to get in touch with the funeral director. So when would he do that? When's it, when's it going to be, right? We need to get the house sorted. We need to find out as well. We need to make sure everything's in place. You know, like it was almost process driven for me. Yeah. But the thing about that experience was that, I had experienced my other granddad passed away before that and my grandmother before that. And every single time, all three of them, I've had three different types of, uh, not emotions, but uh, feelings and everything. You know, I didn't react the same way every single time, but I, I loved them all equally. Like I, I had the best relationship with every single one of my grandparents. So, you know, I had every reason to feel extremely emotional, you know, at every single funeral. And I think when I look back, particularly at my granny's funeral, 2008, like I was grieving or I was showing emotion and behavior the way that I had seen it being portrayed before. Yeah. Because so, I didn't know, you know, I had I'd lost someone who was relatively close to me when I was younger. He was like a mentor for me, but he wasn't in my family. I'd known him known in, me in a few years. And I'm not devaluing his value in my life, by the way, when I say that. But it's just that he wasn't part of my family. So I suppose I didn't really feel as connected to him as I did my grandmother, for example. But at my grandmother's funeral, like I was, I was seeing people around me, like just completely break down and not be able to, to cope with what, what was going on. And I was almost mirroring what I'd seen because I didn't really know what to do. And like, like you said about getting up to read, I was chosen to get up to read with um, two of my other cousins and... I was in such a state beforehand that I didn't even read what I was supposed to be reading previous. I mean, I, I had it in my hand and I just got up and, and I started reading in front of everybody else. But it was like, I was reading, but the words weren't connecting with me at all. Like it, I was just doing what I was told pretty much just yeah. to get, just to, to get over with. And then, and then sit down again. But the interesting part of that is that since then, my two grandfathers had passed and a great aunt who we were very close with had passed and I've spoken to all three. So from not really wanting to do it or not really having any connection with the words written, the piece of paper that I was supposed to be reading at my grandmother's funeral to the point now where I almost take it as a bit of pride that I am able and that it's like my kind of way of, my last kind of way of showing them, you know, listen, I'm speaking about you for you because, you know, you mean something to me. Like it's, it's a weird thing in that I've never had an issue with public speaking. Yeah. That's in my adult life anyway, in my, when I was at school, I was shy and didn't really bother doing it. But in my adult life, public speaking has never been an issue for me. So I, it's not that I, I got nervous at any, at any stage, but it's like, I almost felt that it was my duty, <laughs> you know, because I'd done it for my granny. I couldn't let my granddad go without doing it. They were yeah. married. And then I, I thought, well, I've done it for those two. I can't let my other granddad go without doing it. And it was like, um, it's got to that part now where I, like I said, there's like a self a sense of, pride and almost like 
one final way of me speaking to them before they go because what I don't do is I don't visit graves. I'm not religious. I don't pray. Um, and I have been questioned on that. I've been questioned, you know, why don't you go to, to the graveside and, and talk or, you know, at least just go there and see it. Um, and again, that comes back to people's perceptions and how someone should grieve. You know, it's maybe like some people understand why they go because they feel a connection to them and standing at the graveside and they feel that they're, you know, they're speaking to the person that's not here anymore. And I, and I totally get that. But for me, it, I just don't, I just don't see why they do that. Because for me, when I don't speak to them, but I remember them and the memories that I have of them allow me to feel that relief. So if I'm having a bad day or, you know, it was just the other week where, um, my father's grand, my father's father, my grandma Tommy came into my head and I've actually got a, I've got a picture of him on, I've got a picture of all of them actually, but this little picture, the only one I could find was like a little passport size one. And it's the one I treasure the most because it's black and white for a start. And it was taken like 10 years ago. So like, why was it black and white? If it was 10 years ago, like yeah. there's just something funky about that and something quite unique about it. So that's why I've kept it. Um, and I've actually got the family, the family Bible. Um, and it's massive. It's like, but that size and it's got all recorded um, marriages and births and stuff in it from like early 1800s. But what happened was before he passed, like it must have been about a year before he passed, he eventually had a liver cancer, uh, but he had dementia. So he didn't really understand, which was a blessing, I suppose, in that respect. But a year before he passed, I'd always been fascinated about doing a family tree. So I was like, Granda, can I have that Bible? Because I want to look at it because it's like a little big, like, a little bit, it's like that size and you can fold the pages out of it and look through. And I was going to do a family tree. And what he'd done is he'd put it inside a done stores bag, you know, like a bag for life. And it was still whenever I, as he, when he passed me back to the house to get the house ready, the, the Bible was still in the bag in the same place. He said, I'd leave it in my dresser for you. And it was sitting there. It hadn't been touched in a year. And I mean, that's where it was sitting. So I took it obviously because that's, as I said, I'm not religious, but it means something to me in that respect. But yeah, it was, um, it's, it's weird how, like I say, you went through, or I went through those three and never reacted the same every single time. Yeah. Do you not think that boils down to experience and understanding, um, especially with you and your journey, because you are quite open-minded. You do like to explore things. You do like to try and identify things within yourself that you don't quite understand. So you'll maybe try and, you know, relate to people who, are talking about something similar and what that's connected to. Um, whereas, you know, the, a generational thing we'll use, for example, like our parents or grandparents, they deal with things in a completely different way to maybe our generation do where, you know, we are a wee bit more open-minded and that's not a general generalization. I just think that as the millennials almost, we are more open-minded to explore things and identify things. And like you're saying, um, obviously I, I'm not religious myself either, um, but I still have, you know, certain thoughts and beliefs about, um, you know, the makeup of the world and, um, you know, how we came about being here. And I, I still have questions that are unanswered and I'm still exploring. Um, but I definitely don't believe that uh, there's a man above the clouds that, uh, you know, once we, once we pass away, we have to open a gate and, and we're, we're judged based on, you know, our actions, but that's just, that's my honest opinion. That's not to detract from anyone out there because I fully, you know, support anyone's beliefs, 
I believe they have the right to do that and to think like that. But anyway, this uh, podcast is not about religion, but I was sort of just touching on something there. I think we are more open-minded um, as a sort of generation in a sense. I think so. I think a lot of that comes down to access of information. Yeah. You know, the internet and well, as much as it can be a good thing can also be a negative, but because it can tell you what you're supposed to be feeling. And then when you don't feel those things, you think, why am I not doing it? So it kind of puts you back into that whole cycle of trying to understand what it is you're doing. I've never been one to, like, I've never, I've never researched. I've never Googled how to grieve. You know, I've never, even though my experiences have been different every single time, I have never tried to get a common thread or a common denominator to try and understand particularly particularly my grandparents and why I reacted the way I did in all three situations, apart from, like I said, my grandmother, where I think I was acting the way everybody else was acting and how it was supposed, you know, what people are perceived to look like when they grieve. Now, obviously I was hurting, you know, obviously I was hurting in that moment in time for my grandmother. And I'm not for a second suggesting that I was putting anything on that I displayed that day as a show. But what I'm saying is that when you get when you have no experience and that's even experience you see and you're feeling these, these emotions you can't quite understand, you then believe that this must be the way in which you should, you should display those emotions. Um, but I do think a lot of that, yeah, is to do, the open-mindedness is to do with the access to information. But I also think that you touched on it a little bit there when you, when you talked about the idea of religion. And again, I know it's not a, a podcast about it, but we all have to be open-minded that every single person is unique. Mm-hmm. and that not every single person will con- will A, conform to how you believe they should, but also not every single person will will view the world the world the same or have the same perceptions as you. And when someone is grieving or has someone has lost, I think the worst thing you can do to them is tell them how to grieve. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard some stories from some people uh not only close to me but you know i've just basically heard stories through other people um about you know there's there's no real rule book for grief in a sense there's uh everyone deals with it in a completely unique way um so it's like uh it could just hit you all of a sudden you know you could be walking down the street and you have a memory that triggers your grief again do you know what i mean especially if someone close to you has passed you know, you could hold it together for a week and then it just takes one small thing to happen with it, with your life. And uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you are um, a, a mess. Well, uh, here, here's something for you. Just we, we spoke there briefly about access to information and not Googling, um, you know, how to grieve. I have a recurring dream and I've had it ever since my grandmother passed. Um, and I've had it a number of times, but the reason why I've, I think I've had it a number of times is because I'm overthinking why I had it, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. So I had it the first time and then I've tried to understand why I had it. So therefore I keep having it. Um, I don't think it has any spiritual meaning to it, but I'm walking down uh, past the lady center and she's on the far side of the street. Remember the dolphin chip I used to be across the yeah, road? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's walking down past there. I'm on one side and my cousin Chelsea is on the other side of the street with her, walking with her, and I'm screaming at the top of my voice, Granny, Granny, Chelsea, Chelsea. But they ignore me. They just keep walking and walking and walking until they fade into the darkness. And I've had that dream. I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've had it. I've had it a lot. And I haven't been able to connect 
you know, if I'm having a bad day, for example, do I have that dream? Or if I'm thinking about my granny during the day, do I have that dream that night? You know what I mean? So, but I have Googled why you, why dreams occur and why they, why they seem to come back to you or why some seem, seem to stick. And the funny thing is I had one, um, like I, I said earlier on very briefly that um, I had someone who had passed previous to my grandmother, which was a mentor of mine when I first started coaching. And he used to wear, Ian McIntyre, he used to wear a big, long black coat, like a, you know, like a, almost like a chauffeur's coat down past the knee. And he passed away. And I remember going to my, my grandfather's house and across the road, there used to be like a moped sat on like a, on a curb, like up off the road on a curb. And the dream that I had when Ian passed, um, and it's still so vivid in my mind is that I walk into my granddad's house and Ian's across the road and he takes his coat off and he puts it on the, the moped. Now, I don't know what the moped has to do with the story or the dream. It has no relevance to me. I don't know if he talked talk to me about mopeds, you know, at one stage and that's the reason why it's there. But he he sets the coat on uh, the moped and he walks off as if to go towards the Gorian showgrounds. And I walk over and lift the coat and he turns back and looks at me and says, now you take the coat. Yeah. And it's like... I mean, if you try and decipher that, you'd, you know, you put yourself insane. And it's like the same recurrent, like with the recurring dream of my granny. It's like, although I've Googled it, I've now got to the part now where it's just, if it happens, it happens. You know, if, if I have it, I have it. And just out of curiosity, is it the exact same dream or does it differ in any, any way? Exact same form? dream. Exact same dream. But, uh, the one about Ian only ever happened once and that's shortly after he passed, but my granny's exact same now i couldn't tell you details i couldn't tell you what i'm wearing i couldn't tell you what they're wearing whatever it's it's just the fact that i'm walking down past Legendary and chelsea and her in the far side of the street and they're ignoring me and i'm screaming at the top of my voice and then they just walk off into the distance it's uh yeah it's it's a weird one it definitely is the psychology behind dreams is fascinating it really is um yeah i've had my fair share of really really peculiar dreams and you wake up the next morning um, and it's it, it's so intense that you try to break it down in your head going, did I have this dream for a reason? Um, is it a message? And you're going, no, no, no way. I'm, I'm crazy here. You know, it's, it's a dream. Do you know what I mean? But it, it plays on your mind. You're going, is it a sign? Is it a message? And then you're going, hold on a second. Like, See, through, through my whole exploration of my dream, trying to figure out why I keep having the same dream, I came across a book called The Organized Mind. And the, the name of the author just goes past me at the minute. But in, in the book, they basically talk about how the conscious and the subconscious is separated. And it's by something that's obviously not there in physical form, but the idea is that there is something called an attentional filter, like a net that's that divides the subconscious and the conscious so basically attentional filter it will stop thoughts coming through to the conscious that are not deemed relevant so say for example you're driving your car right how many times you drove drove home from work uh, to your house and got home and not remember driving like how did i get here yeah it's like whoa i don't even remember driving that's because your attentional filter has basically put you in a mode that allows you to operate with um, less attention because it's deemed safe. However, if you're driving on a road and all of a sudden you hit a bump, you shake up and you go, oh, what was that? Yeah. That was your attentional filter allowing those thoughts through from the subconscious to the conscious because there is a potential danger or a threat that you need to be aware of. 
I think the same thing happens with dreams. And I think the same thing happens with, with my, with my dream in particular, in that I may have thought about my granny. I may have seen a picture of her. I may have heard somebody else, like my mum or my aunts or somebody else speak about her. And that image and that, those words have been some, some way caught by that attentional filter, moved into the subconscious. And then when I sleep, that attentional filter relaxes and pushes forward those thoughts. And I think that's the reason why I keep having those recurring dreams. I could be totally wrong. I could be totally scientifically off in a different stratosphere with that one, but that's my only explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Peculiar for sure. <laughs> Definitely yeah. worth investigating a wee bit further, but um, back, back to uh, obviously the topic of grief Um even touching on the generational thing, like you were saying previously, uh, we, we sort of are, it's drilled into us probably how we should deal with grief. And even growing up as, you know, a youngster, uh, we would have just watched and absorbed what other people were doing in order to learn what it was, what grief was to try and explain it. Um, and I think probably like you were saying, back to your understanding of it or lack of understanding when it comes to grief is you do just replicate what other people are doing and um, because you think that's how you should grieve um, and I think it brings it to a, a prominent point should I say that there is no right or wrong way to grieve and we all completely deal with it in our own unique way and I suppose I'm sure there has been research done and I'm sure there's books out there that can sort of delve into it. But I would probably argue that no one has a definitive answer for how you should grieve, how people grieve. Do you know a definition for it as a, as a whole almost? Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. Um, and that, that's the other point too, is that through my experience, um, I've got to the point now where, like I said, um, no, no experience has been the same in terms of the, those who've, who've been close to me, my, my, my three grandparents. Um, but I accept that, you know, and the only thing is now, and this is the scariest thing to, to even contemplate, is that the next death in our family is going to be closer to home. It's going to be a parent. It's going to be a brother or sister or an aunt or uncle or cousin, someone in that close sort of family setup. And, you know, that's not to devalue the life of the of my grandparents, obviously, but when they get older and when you're younger, you don't really expect your grandparents to live forever. No. Right. So the more, the more you grow and the more you mature, you understand that certain life have certain things they do in their life, certain behaviors in their life might impinge upon the fact that they're going to live longer. Right. So how they live their life and things like that. But, now at this point in my life, it's like, well, the next one's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be really close to home. And I suppose the thought that I, I had that thought actually, whenever we were at the funeral for my great aunt and um, that's been four years in many ways, I don't know if this is right or wrong or if I should do this or I shouldn't do this, but I'm almost preparing myself because I know the next one's going to be it's going to be a hard one to take. Yeah. No, I know. And um, I suppose 
we don't uh, we sort of block those things out of our heads as well well i i know i do um i try not to think too in depth about it because i'm the type of person who can sometimes overthink things um i'll just use a prime example uh, i was about early teens I was obviously going through all the changes and everything and my dad lived over in London and uh, I just had this constant fear of death for I think it would have lasted for a year and I don't know if that was my transition to sort of adulthood but uh, I remember in London it was a really really sort of smoggy summer I think it was like 32 33 degrees which was really really high for London um and we were actually looking after a friend's house and it was this massive massive big house in a really rich part of london and i was on the very top floor so obviously heat rises and uh i just remember that whole holiday of us looking after that house uh every night i would just sit awake thinking about death and how and all the different ways that i was going to die um so i was thinking about the flight home to go back to my mum's i was thinking about dying on it um my because it was so smoggy I was really finding it hard to like get proper breaths and I think it was down to the fact that you know I was maybe having panic attacks back then but it actually came to the point where um I was having a shower one night and out of nowhere I just I couldn't breathe um and I remember like running up to my dad and saying like I can't breathe I can't breathe um and he says right take it sit on the front doorstep and obviously it was really really warm at night so like I couldn't breathe it was really warm I was panicking I was overthinking things and I think that was my first experience with a panic attack but because I had talked my brain all summer into all these different ways I was going to die um it was it was a really strange time <laughs> as a as a teenager because I just mapped out you know I'm I'm 14 years old and I've amounted to nothing. I've done nothing with my life. I'm not going to see the future. Mm. Um, so I know that took it away slightly from grief, but it, it was just a strange flip on its head because I was inventing all these different ways in which I was going to pass away at such an early age. And it was a really strange experience to go through. Mm. Um, and I'm sure someone listening in has, has experienced that as well. Um, I'm sure, have you ever been on a flight where you've, you know, you've looked around the flight to see, you know, if there's a woman with a baby or if there's a nun or if there's an, another pilot or, or if there's other good people, because you're like, well, surely if there's an entity out there, they wouldn't let this plane go yeah. down. Well, you know, and just to digress and, and keep on that point just a little bit, because I think it, it's part of it is that, um, do you remember whenever, as a number of years back when um, there was a gunman in America who opened fire in a cinema I think it was a Batman movie that was released, The Dark yes, Knight, maybe. I do I remember that, yeah. And I was going to watch it. Was I still in university at this stage? I can't remember, but I was going to watch it. And when I went to the cinema, um, friends were like, oh, let's say, for example, let's sit on the, in the middle row, but at the end, you know, at the end seat. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm sitting in the middle because if somebody breaks through that door with a gun, I'm going to that seat in front of me. Do you know, it's weird how those things just like play in your mind. Yeah. You know, when you talked about obviously thinking about ways in which you could die and it being totally irrational. And maybe that was the first kind of experience of you as a for having a panic attack. And it's a good way to, for you to try and unpack that, I suppose, is that respect and understand it as that, but it's weird how that situation that happened, how many thousands of miles away affected my thinking and how I was going to 
to sit in that cinema. There's a documentary on Netflix. I'll have to, I can't remember the name for the life of me, but um, it's this documentary about the mind, right? So it it basically interviews all these people that were in and around the area of 9-11. So basically years and years on. And um, so they interview all these people and they, they tell the stories of, you know, their experience of 9-11 and what happened and where they were. And about 90% of the people that tell their story of 9-11 tell a completely false story because over time, and watching TV and, and hearing other people's stories, they have developed this, this alternate story in their head. Uh, there's one woman in particular who said she was sitting at her school desk looking out the window, and it was later confirmed that the parents had taken her on a, on a trip to some resort, uh, so she wasn't actually in school. But it's really strange how, you know, this massive, massive event that has happened that has affected so many people and people's memories are so skewed in what actually happened and their memory of, you know, the event occurring. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, I think the psychological term for that is narrative fallacy. Yeah. Um, it was invented by a philosopher called Nicholas Nassim Taleb or Nassim Nicholas Taleb around one of the two ways. Um, he wrote a book called The Black Swan, which was kind of like a book of trying to understand why how we can predict basically these things that people say are unpredictable, you know, and he talks about the about 9-11 and that, but it's a, it is a fascinating, um, a fascinating journey to try and read about that kind of stuff. Cause it does warp the mind a little bit. Um, but it is all, all part of the journey of trying to understand um, how the mind works. And essentially, I suppose that's it. That's what, what grief is really, isn't it? It's, it's the mind and the emotion and the behavior all wrapped up into one. Um, the other part of it, I think, is, and we're probably getting towards the end, but the other part of that is that I think in order to understand grief, I don't think you should have to constantly put yourself back into that that hole or that down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out why it was you'd done every single action that you did because you'll just drive yourself crazy. You know, it's just, I think you just have to accept that this is the way you deal with it. And, um, and if it's, if it's like me and it's different all three times, then I don't know what to expect the next time. Yeah. And I suppose like even reverting back to the, the sort of first loss that I had significant loss, um, you know, I beat myself up for so long and I think I was in denial for so long because I, I regretted obviously not being there at a time where I should have been there because I was caught up in so many other different things. Um, And I was at an age where I probably wasn't mature enough. Um, But now looking back, I'm probably almost thankful that I wasn't spending, you know, on the the last sort of leg of of the time my granda had on, on earth. Um, I, I don't think I would have been able to cope with actually seeing him in that state and, you know, not being able to do anything, not being, being able to respond in, in a way. Um, Cause even talking to my aunts about it, they says it was, it was horrible for them. It was really difficult. And um, obviously they were with him until the end. Yeah. Um, but I suppose I, I beat myself up because I didn't really say a goodbye as such before it all happened. 
Um, but now I've, I've accepted that, you know, I remember like my last memories of him, you know, he was still able to walk. He was still able to talk. He had lost loads of weight, but I, I still have that memory. And I, I don't have any like vivid memories of him, you know, really ill mm. and, and not the person that, you know, I, I want to keep in my mind. Yeah. Um, so I suppose it, it's taken me a long time to, you know, relieve myself of that guilt. Um, and I think that's what sort of affected me for so long and, and had a chain reaction with some other stuff that happened in my life. And, um, but it's, it's taken that experience and that journey and also my understanding and probably to become more mature and, and, uh, think things through and educate myself a bit more. Um, but it just goes to show you how sort of long you can hold on to something. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, something just popped into my head actually when we were speaking. They were talking about how, um, how we grieve and is there a consistency to it? I've never thought about this in that respect before. But tattoos are, I suppose, in many ways, how how I do it. I mean, it's, it's literally just dawned on me now when we're speaking. Like I have seven or eight, six, uh, seven tattoos, and. Four one, two, three, one, two, four of them are in relation to somebody who's passed. Funny you say that. Um, I got the Valkyrie wing. My granddad was in the RAF. On the back of my calf, I have a, a dragon. My uncle was involved in a club in Australia called Lang Warren. Um, and yeah, they're both, they're both to do with family members, my tattoos. And that's, thinking back on it now do you know what i mean that was you know anytime i look at it brings back the memories do you know what yeah. i mean so that i'll i'll never ever forget them or i suppose subconsciously i was thinking i never ever want to forget so i need something not that you would but you're sort of just telling you you need to almost mark yourself yeah so it's just like you know i got my my last one was for my my mum's father who passed away five was it five years ago now maybe he used to always say two things, two, two sayings he used to always have was night, night, God bless. That was the last thing he'd say to you. And he used to have a little blackboard in his kitchen and he'd write that on the board, night, night, God bless, because he was very well aware of potentially of his age and, and his lifestyle and whatever else that he could not wake up in the morning. So he always left that every single night. He'd leave a night, night, God bless on the blackboard in case you were the first person the next morning, then you would see night, night, God bless on the blackboard. Um, it was almost like his way of, of, of saying his last words in many ways. Um, and that's what I got in, on my arm here. It's, um, it's yeah, you can't really see that, but it's, it says night, night, God bless. And uh, he used to always say, as I say, God, um, like, see you tomorrow, Grunda. Like, yeah, if God spares me, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. Uh, um, but um, I, I decided to go with night, night, God bless, because it was always the one that was on the board. Um, and ironically, it was on the board the day he died. So it, it, it is, it just goes to show like um, as human beings, we, we, we want to clutch on to things that are yeah. important to us and, and we have our own ways of doing that. And uh, obviously both of us have just sort of highlighted our ways of sort of trying to clutch on to that, clutch on to your, th those memories um, and also just so that we don't forget. Um, not that we would, but I think you just tell yourself, I, I never want to forget sort of thing. 
Um, but I suppose we have, we've sort of came to a roundabout way of discussing our experiences with grief, but also some other things which tie into grief ultimately um, and tie into the fabric of us as human beings and the way we think and our thought process, even when you were talking about dreams, they all connect in, in a way. Um, and I suppose subconsciously, you know, looking at that dream of yours, the recurring dream is, you know, maybe something that you haven't identified yet that you will on your journey, you will go, okay, well, maybe this is linked to that. Um, and I suppose that's, that's maybe the, 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 the beauty of discovery. It's continual. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a process and this podcast episode has been a pro, uh, um, a process. Um, so it's, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been emotive and it's been, um, but it's also been good to be able to speak to somebody who has had the experiences that I've had as well. And it does help you just a little bit kind of go, maybe I'm not all that, uh, I'm not that weird after all, you know? No, I don't think so. Um, but like, like you says, some of your experiences are going to be completely different to my experiences. And that's going to be, you know, my experiences are going to be different to like a family member or a parent or you know, an aunt and uncle, but it's just the way we cope with things in our life. And I think what maybe contributes to that in a sense is some of the things that we do in our lives. Um, like for instance, you do a lot of reading. So you continually think back to things that you've read about and you try to connect that to the explain things almost. Um, whereas, you know, Say, for example, someone who doesn't read and they put all their faith into, you know, the likes of a God, um, they will have a different experience with grief than what you will and what I will. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting topic. And obviously, it's, it's something that's inevitable for all of us. Um, not only will we go through grief, but, you know, the time will come where we'll pass and our kids will have to go through that grief. Um, so yeah, the world is a, is a weird and wonderful place. Um, and obviously uh, it's a great journey to be on because the more we talk and be open about things, the more we uncover things and, and people are more open to talk about their stories and their journeys. Um, and I think people find some comfort, like you were saying, in not being the only person, not being weird. Um, and it's until they hear someone else talk openly about it, then they can really accept some of the things that they've been going through and maybe not spoke about. Yeah, for sure. And um, suppose just as we bring the podcast to an end, it's it's um, first and foremost, thank you for for listening this this far and getting into so what has been, as I said previously, an emotive an emotive topic. But essentially, that's those are the kind of topics that we want to speak about. The ones that really that, that either aren't being spoken about or that we feel need to be spoken about to allow other people to explore. And we really appreciate the support that's been given so far. And we hope that the podcast can maybe give some people some comfort in many ways to know, as you said, that you're not the only one that's been through this, not the only one that's going to go through this, but also to understand that it's okay if you don't grieve like everybody else. And no one has the right to tell you how to grieve. That's it. And I suppose as we bring this podcast to a close, 
hopefully it can bring some people out there some closure to some of the stuff that they've been dealing with. Um, like I said, it took me quite a number of years to come to terms with my first loss, which was my granda. Um, but I've I've sort of brought closure to that chapter. Um, and in the sense, you know, he will live long in the memory, but I have good memories. Do you know what I mean? And I accept that, you know, at that time, I just wasn't mature enough to deal with it in the way that I would deal with it now. Um, and I suppose that has brought closure for me. Mm -hmm.